Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about A Wrinkle in Time. Jan, do you want to tell us about this movie? Yes, I do. A Wrinkle in Time is a 2018 movie directed by Ava DuVernay. The screenplay was written by Jennifer Lee, adapted from the Madeleine Langle book. It stars Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Colling, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Michael Pina, Storm Reed, Zach Galifianakis, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. And Chris Pine. It is a Disney film based on the novel and... Uh, That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) What can you tell us a little bit about the plot? Yes. Meg Murray's father has been missing for four years. Everyone tells her that he's never coming back. But her younger adopted brother, Charles Wallace, introduces her to three mysterious women, Mrs. What's-It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Witch. And And along with a fellow student from school named Calvin... Charles Wallace and Meg join the missus on a search across the universe to rescue their missing father from the Camots, the home of the evil It, who is spreading darkness throughout the universe. They succeed and bring Dr. Murray back home safely to his family. The end. That's the basics of Wrinkle in Time. Do you want to begin with a little bit of personal history before we get into the sure the other part of this, what we do here? What's your history with A Wrinkle in Time? Wrinkle in Time, uh, the book, of course, I read fairly young. I would say I was in grade five or six, and it was my favorite book. I loved it. I loved Wrinkle in Time. And I would say, people would ask me who my favorite writer was, and I would say Madeline Langle, even though I didn't read any other book that she wrote besides this one until my 20s. So I didn't read any of the sequels. I didn't even know there was sequels hmm. until I was much older. And so I, uh, but I loved Wrinkle in Time, and it's definitely a book I grew up with and I've read multiple times. And have a strong relationship with. And so going into this movie, I had many feelings. Yeah. How about you, Paul? My story is fairly similar. I never said Madeline Langle was my favorite and Wrinkle in Time was never my favorite. Uh, but it was up there. Mm-hmm. I read it many times. We had it in our house. I read the sequels and everything that was child appropriate that Madeline Langle wrote. Mm-hmm. And maybe a few things that weren't child appropriate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I know Wrinkle in Time well. I've read it many times as a child. Uh, I haven't read it probably now since my 20s. So mm-hmm. it's been 15 years or so since I've read it. Our oldest daughter has read it and was very happy. Like enjoyed it very much. And But I didn't read it, reread it when she was reading it. But I have a lot of affection for the book also. Quite a lot of affection in it. But it's, I think to me, it's a book I enjoy a lot. It's a book I have a lot of affection for. But it's not one of the books that 
I have kind of possessive affection for, where I'm mm. going to be upset with every little change they make in the movie. In general, I try not to be uh, that kind of watcher of movies. Like, I recognize that adaptations are a new thing, and I don't get upset when they change things from the book. There are some books that I'm more possessive of. Mm-hmm. I feel like A Wrinkle in Time, although I have a lot of affection for it, I'm fairly forgiving of changes to it. Yes. In principle. So having got that out of the way, what do you think of this movie as a movie? In terms of the craft of movie making, how good a job do you think they're doing in this movie? Well, I must say, like, visually, this movie is absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The sets, the costumes, the design, everything is just beautiful. I love everything about how it looks. Mostly. I mostly agree with you. Mm -hmm. I have one uh, complaint about the visuals even. Um, and that is that the it's maybe more connected to the actors than the visuals in one sense. When they're acting, especially the kids, when they're interacting with things that are CGI, I don't quite buy it. Hmm. Yeah. Especially in the Happy Mediums Cave. They're in the Happy Mediums cave and they're balancing on these uh, balance boards. And it's, I just don't, they're not acting like they're really there. And the world they're interacting with isn't interacting as it ought to. Hmm. And that's, I think, half a problem with the actors, but it's half a problem with the CGI. Like it's good looking, but it doesn't interact with the people the way it should. Yes, that's true. I was thinking more of the outdoor scenes and the costuming. Yeah. And that's that specific scene I agree is has its issues. And that's a great, like that's a scene where there's an element of it, like in terms of design, it's a great design. It's a magnificent design actually, mm -hmm. but it's just like how it interacts with the people is not fantastic. And the world the planet that they're on with the flying flower butter, the flying flowers is like beautiful. And uh, even the scenes where they're like standing in a CGI, like during the Tesseract, for example, yep. especially the Tesseract home uh, is beautiful. The makeup and costuming is really great on the three misses. Every time they Tesseract, they're in different costumes and different looks. And every one of them is like amazing. Mm-hmm. So all that, I agree with you. It's a really, really good looking movie. Make, especially costumes. Like the costume designer should win an Oscar for this movie. Yes, 100%. 1,000%. Um, so what about the acting? The children, the adults, everyone? I think Storm Reed did a fine job. Mm -hmm. Quite a good job, actually, as Meg. Uh, the other two child actors... I uh, didn't love. No, same. Calvin and Charles Wallace. Charles Wallace, I just feel like... Well, the acting across the board, okay. I'm going to say about Charles Wallace, and then I'm going to say some comments about the acting across the board. Mm -hmm. I think that they asked him to do things he wasn't capable of. Yes. There were parts of it that he was completely good. Uh, he was fine as a precocious child-speaking... Uh, you know, with an overly large vocabulary. He was fine as that. Mm -hmm. Good even. His, like, turn to being uh, possessed by it, I need wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> and even 
like other moments, like he was quite glib throughout. And I wanted to see a little bit more of like him being more than just precocious and glib, but like some depth beneath that precociousness, even in a six-year-old. Like, yeah. And I just didn't see it. I agree. I think Charles Wallace as a character is almost impossible to portray on screen because it's almost impossible to get that kind, that level of acting out of a six-year-old, out of a kid who looks like a six-year-old. Yeah. And what, I mean, extremely difficult. I'm trying not to be too like, he didn't act exactly as he's described acting in the book. Yeah. So judging it on its own merits, I just think they were asking more of him than he could give. Yes. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And the Calvin was just like, felt very flat to me. Yeah. I I agree. He felt flat. And I think they didn't give him enough. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how, how good that actor is because I felt like they just didn't give him enough. But I kind of want to blame the director, not the acting, as I've Mm. done before with child actors, because here's why. I know Reese Witherspoon can act. Mm -hmm. But she was awful. Yeah? I think. I really did not like Reese Witherspoon in this movie one bit. Hmm. Wow. Disagree. I liked Oprah and I liked Mindy Colling. I thought they were both doing perfectly good jobs, even good jobs. But I didn't like Reese Witherspoon at all. I really liked her. I liked her, like, flightiness. I was, I didn't like, if I, like, think about the book, I didn't like her in comparison to what she should be in the book, which is, like, an old bag lady. Yeah. But. That's a different conversation, I I think. But, yeah. But I liked her character, and I thought she was funny, and her whole flightiness and ridiculousness was fun and I thought she did a great job. So I, man, I really disagree. (laughs) I'm really shocked to hear you say that because I just do not agree with that. I think I thought the weak point of the missus was Oprah. Hmm. who I continue to think she always, she tries to be in these movies and she's never been as good as when she was in the color purple. Yeah. Well that I agree with totally is Oprah's a host, not an actress. I'm sorry, Oprah. I think, See, I feel like with Oprah, it's the comparison to what I expect Mrs. Witch to be that makes me unhappy. And I think if I take this on its own merits, I think she did what she was called to do by this actual script, Mm -hmm. like, really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's that Mrs. Witch is, is in the book, very, like, incorporeal and wispy, and they didn't depict her as that remotely. Uh But I feel like she had presence and she had, you know, showed kind of gravitas and uh, also concern for Meg. That was what they were trying, they wanted out of her in this movie. And I think she'd pulled it off. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, we'll talk more about, uh, I think when we're talking about just how we enjoyed it, we'll talk more about how the, the choices that they made in terms of representing the missuses. Because I think that's not an element of craft. It's an element of taste. Yes, I agree. I liked uh, the mother um, was good. Yes. She didn't have a lot to do. No. But what she had to do, she did very well. Mm -hmm. Chris Pine, I think, was fantastic in this. Yeah, I agree. I think he did a great job. I agree. He did a good job. He was kind of doing when he was not... In distress, he was kind of doing his Chris, Pr- 
Chris Pine thing. Like yeah. he was very like Kirk or like whatever. Like he's or Steve Steve Trevor. Yeah. But when he was in distress, that was kind of a different side to him, and I quite I quite enjoyed him. Yeah, I agree. I thought he did a good job. I didn't, I thought Zach Galifianakis. I feel neutral on. Mm-hmm. He did fine. He yeah. didn't blow me away, but he didn't disappoint me either. He was fine. Yeah. Any other elements that you think they did an especially good job at? I felt like the portrayal of Meg was really good. The I the her going to school and feeling left out and feeling those teenage girl, yeah, early teenage girl feelings felt very raw and very real. And I liked the way that, that the first half of the movie there portrayed her portrayal was, I felt like very relatable to girls of that age. In terms of like a little moment of just casting that all the mean girls are like a foot taller than she is. Yeah. It makes her like physically small and it makes her seem emotionally small. Like Mm -hmm. she seems very vulnerable just because they're all much taller than she is. Mm -hmm. That just that detail. Yeah. I think they did parts of Meg's depiction really, really well. I, uh, I have some trouble conceptually with like the, we are told that she's messy and awkward and funny looking when in fact she's She's, beautiful and graceful and like there's no universe where she's not beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that was a bit of a like, you either should change the script and not say she's funny looking or uh, hire someone who's kind of funny looking. Yep. You know, and I can maybe get, I don't know. We might talk more about that in the way too seriously, but I feel like we're informed more than shown that she's actually awkward. She gets treated as if she's weird and awkward. We were talking about things we liked. Yeah, (laughs) we were. Let's move on to, is there anything about uh, this movie that you think they didn't do a very good job of? I'm, I'm really sad to say this because I wanted I wanted very badly to like this movie but it's just a bit boring it's just the story doesn't quite connect emotionally yeah I just I wanted to feel emotions about these characters and it couldn't quite and I don't know exactly what it was but for some reason I couldn't quite connect with these characters. I put that down to uh, Charles Wallace's performance and to the script. Yeah. It's very difficult uh, not to be critical of a book adaptation when you see pieces of the book without the connecting tissue. Yes. It's very difficult to judge it. Like, how would I read that if I didn't miss the connective tissue? Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of moments of like a line or a moment without the things that connect them to each other. And I missed the connective tissue as someone who's familiar with the book. Um, And I feel like I would miss them anyway. I feel like that's one of the things that makes it 
uh, kind of boring because they have these, they, they are relying on these kind of moments in the book, Mm -hmm. but they're not giving sufficient attention to what brings you from one moment to the next. Yeah, I agree. Do you, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, so many unexplained things. And when you look at this movie as a whole, the plot doesn't entirely hold together. Yeah. And the, her solving the, saving the day doesn't entirely hold together because you're given no pre-knowledge of why would love stop this thing. It's... They, I mean, you kind of are, but I agree, like, not enough. The themes of... They tried to make the themes of light and darkness, but I feel like they didn't quite nail it. Yeah, I agree. I t- In terms of the script, I think this is not an amazing script. Mm-hmm. I think it is a mediocre script. Yeah. With a strong uh, story behind it, but the, some of the the way that they flesh out the story does not really do it favors. The parts that they decide to spend a lot of time on versus the parts they decide to skip over, yeah, are not uh, in te- are not they're not chosen for the emotional impact. They're chosen for the visual spectacle. I think. Yes, I agree. And there is lots of visual spectacle and they do a great job about it, but it all seems kind of artificial because I don't care very much. Mm-hmm. I care most about uh, Meg, her mom and her dad. But even that, like, I kind of care less about Meg as the movie goes on instead of more. Yes, agreed. And we're kind of starting to talk about our, how we yeah, like how much liked pers- it. Yeah, how much personally did you like it? It was okay. Yeah. And I'm, I have a hard time disentangling my affection for the book. But I think it was okay. I think it is not a movie that I'm going to want to go back to. No, me neither. And if they do make a sequel, as they kind of, they were playing up uh, Principal Jenkins, who's important in A Wind at the Door, which is the next book, that makes me feel like they're seeding potentially making a movie out of the next book and i wonder how they will do that but i will i might watch that sequel but i will watch it with considerably less enthusiasm than i went into a wrinkle in time yeah absolutely i was in terms of my feelings i was went into it actually quite upset about how they were depicting the three misses And there's lots of changes that I don't mind. There's lots of changes that don't bother me. But I uh, didn't like at all the the way that the three misses are so glamorous on Earth. Hmm. Um, I really didn't like that. (laughs) And I hated, I hated Mrs. Watson in this movie. Hmm. I hated... Like, I, I, her flightiness would have been fine. I hated the way she spent the whole movie insulting Meg and nagging her and discouraging her and telling her she's not good enough. You really don't trust easily, do you? Hmm. Charles Wallace, I'm not sure about Meg. I don't know about her, Charles Wallace. But I have a very good vibe from this Calvin kid. Let's make sure she's all right. Ow! Yes, she's fine. What's it? We don't kick people. Oh, I didn't know. 
Seriously, Charles Wallace, I'm underwhelmed. See, I told you this was too hard for her. I don't know why we brought her in the first place. She's fine. Fine? After that beautiful tesser? She should be glorious. Everyone else is glorious. She makes absolutely no sense. I absolutely do not understand that girl whatsoever. I don't see why that was necessary or good. It made me dislike her as a character. It made hmm. me dislike her on screen. I didn't, like, they, I suppose, were going for. She's more uh, younger and flightier than the other two, but, like, it was too much as hmm. far as I'm concerned. I didn't think they, I didn't like at all. Uh, one of the point, one of the, things that gives Wrinkle in Time a lot of character is these ironies. So she's like, looks like an old woman, but she's the youngest of them. She looks like she's a bag lady, but she's actually like an angel. And this movie doesn't trust its audience very much. It doesn't trust us to be able mm. to read that she might be, have a beautiful soul if she doesn't have a beautiful dress. Uh, and so it really makes everybody who's supposed to be nice, pretty. In terms of my enjoyment, I didn't feel like this movie trusted its audience very much. Hmm. I felt like it kind of treated me like I was stupid, and I kind of resented that. And that's not just because, like, plenty of kids' movies spell things out for the kids, and that's fine. I just didn't like the way this movie uh, didn't trust its audience. Hmm. I think that's actually where I land on the thing that upset me most in my enjoyment, or that... uh interfered most with my enjoyment of this movie. Yeah. I can see that. How about you? Did you how did you like this movie? I much like you. I thought it was okay. I was not blown away like I was with the trailers kind of blew me away and then the movie was underwhelming. Hmm. I I was hoping for a better plot. Yeah. I knew going into it, this is an adaptation. It's going to be different. It's going to be very different from the book, and that's fine. I'm I am a hundred like you. I'm hundred percent fine with that. Change the book quite a bit. But keep the spirit of the book and have a good decent plot. And I felt like the sum of the spirit of the book was there, but the plot was very lacking. And they went for the beautiful visuals, like you said, over an actual plot, which was a shame. Yeah. Because I think this director really can make some amazing things. Like she really directed some things very beautifully, but I think that the, some of the characters were lacking. I really liked it when they quoted all the quotes in Lin, Lin Manuel Miranda. I liked Mrs. Who and her quotes. I loved in conception updating the quotes. I felt like the Lin-Manuel Miranda quote was a little pandery because it wasn't the best chosen quote for the context. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I'm a million percent behind use a quote from Hamilton, but it seemed like... Tomorrow there'll be more of us was a lame idea. It was a, not a, the best quote for the context and it like wasn't clear to me what that's supposed to be saying. Mm. light is going to grow and continue. I think there's even in Hamilton with some thought you could find another quote that expresses that better. You may be right. I liked Outcast being one of the quotes. I liked Outcast being one of the quotes. I liked, I kind of, I liked when she was just like, damn, and then cited where that was from. 
Uh, oh, you missed that because you I were in the bathroom. That. Reese Witherspoon transforms into a flying lettuce leaf and Mindy Colling says, damn, and then cites it. I can't remember who she cites. I thought that was quite funny, but I thought the effect of the joke was weakened a little by the fact that she had already quoted Outcast. It would have landed better as a joke if it had all been like intellectual, literary, esoteric quotes until that moment. Yes, that's probably true. Just as humor. Yeah. But it was still funny. Still. I disagree with you about Mrs. About Reese Witherspoon and Mrs. What's It. Yeah. I think that she was fun and I can see what you're saying about the negativity but I also feel like it was uh, it was just an interesting portrayal of someone who's like a young, this young eternal creature, and that she just doesn't understand humans and doesn't understand like not to kick Meg and stuff. I don't know. That was funny. Yeah, I felt like she provided the the comic relief, which was important. Like that was you need some comic relief. Yeah. She was kind of funny. She never made me, except kicking Meg made me laugh. But kicking Meg made me laugh, but it was mean. Yeah, that's also true. It was mean of her and of the movie. She's literally kicking Meg while she's down. Yeah. It seems like you want to take this way too seriously, so let's just get into it. (laughs) Let's get into the way too seriously part of our show. Okay. Where do you want to start with way too seriously? Do well, I want to start? Like, it seems like you want to tell us all about how negging is bad. And I just, I was upset bad. with the way, yeah, in terms of way too seriously, I don't know. I've kind of tipped my hand and said this already, but all throughout the movie, it's a source of comedy. But the way with Mrs. Watsit keeps being like, I don't think that Meg should be here. She's no good. She can't contribute anything. Why did we even bring her? Like, how is she supposed to be a force for light? Exactly. She's a jerk. She's a jerk. And like, I get uh, her kicking Meg and being like, oh, I didn't know we weren't supposed to kick. Haha, is funny. Um, and supposed to be like, she doesn't understand really. But she's mean. She's mm-hmm. mean. She's as mean as the mean girls in the school are. Hmm. Uh, and her flightiness is not flightiness, it's shallow mean girl. Hmm. And how is she supposed to be a sort uh, like one of the important, they skipped over, one of the most important things about this book is that things are not, the value of things lies beneath the surface. And this movie makes Mrs. Watsit really beautiful instead of deceptively kind. She's beautiful and mean. Instead of uh, kind and physically off-putting. She's never ugly, but she's, you know, like, not outwardly attractive in the book. Mm-hmm. And they flip that around. She's outwardly attractive, but she's mean. Yeah. And as I said, she literally kicks Meg while she's down. She's on the ground, hurt and disoriented, and she kicks her. And I laughed at that at the moment. Uh but it really typifies, it's a, not just mean of her, it's mean of the movie. The movie is, like, not really, it's part of the movie is not really invested in Meg's emotions. And that's why we both, I think, came out of the movie kind of cold. Because the visuals are great and beautiful, but I can't 
care about them if the movie doesn't care that Meg is hurt. And if the movie is kicking Meg for laughs, then it doesn't care that she's hurt. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? So that really bothered me quite a lot, especially as like a force for light. Mm, Yeah. I mean, let's get away from these elements we're talking about in terms of enjoyment and talk a little bit about the way too seriously political side of this movie wherein the feminism the race the like all of that stuff in this movie Mm -hmm. we have the murrays are a mixed-raced family yeah we have uh the three misses we have an african-american woman an indian woman indian american woman and a white woman yeah we've got i mean the book has lots of women in it mm-hmm. and therefore they're in the in the movie and i you know this passes the bechdel test like a million times over yep this passes the race bechdel test a million times over which yeah. is rare and for us in way too seriously this is something i've talked about on way too seriously before but like i kind of as a white person had a blind spot to that until i started saying out loud and noticing out loud how white all the movies we ever watch are. Yep. So that was incredibly good and refreshing specifically for like our podcast. Mm -hmm. How often do we get to say this movie passed the race Bechdel test easily? Yep. It was. Yeah. And to have, uh, not only a female director, but a female writer. Yep. To have so many women involved in making this movie, I'm a little sad that it's not as good as I would have yeah. wanted it to be because of that. Yep. That's why it's a little disappointing. Yep. But it's beautiful to see that, and I want to see more of that. Yeah. And I want, uh, and I'm nervous that someone might point to this and go, yeah. Oh, well, it wasn't that, look at it, it's got not very fresh and rotten tomatoes. That's what happens when you give a movie to all women. I don't, I want this to keep happening again and again and for it to get better and for there to be various results. And it's like, I totally agree with you. I'm upset that this movie isn't better, partly for that reason and partly because connected to that reason, like women and women of color just need the, it's a so important they need to be allowed to make not very good movies sometimes yeah it has to be that like this was a mediocre movie let's give her another shot how many times have white men made mediocre movies all the mediocre movies you've ever seen yeah exactly exactly (laughs) and those people often went on to have careers yeah like uh what's his face who's my uh uh epitome of mediocre movies it's not uh Brett Brett Ratner. Mm, Yeah. How many movies has he made? More than one. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think, like, it was great. One of the things that uh, Our England Time as a book was groundbreaking for being a science fiction book with a female lead. And this movie is, like, following in that tradition and is amazing for that. Yeah, exactly. Meg gets to be the lead. That Meg is an African or a mixed race girl who gets to be in a, 
the lead and the movie doesn't apologize for and mm-hmm. the misses being racially diverse is so refreshing and all of that is amazing mm-hmm. it's so good and i was i have to say i was upset a little bit the book purist in me was upset when charles wallace was adopted but then the movie totally sold me on that mhm absolutely uh and they made it important for the theme and also like awesome good even more representation of not just he's Asian, but also he's adopted. Adopted people get to be represented in films yeah, without that, that being the plot of them, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot to like in terms of representation, both of gender representation and race representation. And I like both in front of the screen and behind it, I was really happy with. Mm-hmm. And I said a second ago that like... um I think Meg should have been more awkward, more, less beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there's another element of like, specifically Calvin compliments her hair. And she's like, my hair isn't beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like about European beauty standards. Yeah. And they don't spell that out. But like, there is a subtext here that like a girl with a flat, wide nose and kinky hair uh, doesn't think she's beautiful mm-hmm. and it's important and uh, amazing to have her on screen and be like, no, no, people don't. And when she, the vision of her as beautiful, she straightened her hair. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if you paid attention to like the politics of African-American women's hair, you that's know, that that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a second element of like, She's beautiful, but she's maybe not recognized as beautiful, even by viewers of the movie. Mm-hmm. I can maybe accept that. Yeah. So that's that happened. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and that's something I liked a lot. Yeah. And what? I mean, quite frankly, I asked my daughter, our oldest, afterwards, like, what did you think of this? What did you think? She loved it, by the way. So, like, we yeah. we didn't like it, but we didn't like it that much, but she loved it. She thought so it was, like, the best movie she'd ever seen. Yeah. And when I said, like, what did you think of Meg and all the other people? And, like, was it what, what, was it what you imagined when you imagined the book? And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely what I imagined. <laughs> and, like, it didn't occur to her to think, like, oh, it's weird that Meg is black. Like, no, because... Yeah. It was just what Meg was in this movie. Yeah. And I love that. I love that our that our daughter saw that. And so, like, when she reads it again, she'll picture her. Yep. And that's and, good representation in general and good, yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. It's all was what it means in terms of uh, its effect on the real world is all good, except for since it's not a great movie, I hope it doesn't get used against women and people of color in future movies. Yes, I agree. Um, what did you think about, in while we're talking about, uh, way too seriously, the little flash of her mean girl neighbor who she threw a basketball in her face. When they're at the happy medium, they get a little flash of her in her room, like with writing all over the mirror, being like, no candy, no snacks, no... And she's weighing herself. She's weighing herself. Yeah. She's... I mean, those that's 
she's coded as having an eating disorder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, that was, I mean, what it was is everyone has their own deal. Yep. Even the mean people yep. have their own issues. And it's in the context of the it is infecting all sorts of people. And I feel like it's saying she's not, you know, mean because she's infected by the it. She's mean because the world is infected by the it. Yeah. And she's going through, she's holding herself to this perfectionist standard because that's what the world is telling her. And fairly explicitly, that's what it, the it, by the way, this isn't too seriously, but I hated with a passion, the it. It's because they had to distinguish it between this and Stephen King's it. Yeah. I guarantee that's Ugh. the only reason they said the it instead of just it. it. It's so distracting. Anyway, I really liked, uh, and we kind of are shown that what the it demands of the people in Camots is like cookie cutter perfection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? So there's a real uh implicit but fairly strong parallel between that anorexic girl and all the women in their fifties dresses and hairstyles on Camots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. There's like a cookie cutter of ideal of what you should be like. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. I thought that was a one of the details that I thought really enriched the movie and its uh, themes. And it gave me some emotional connection to her that like, I'm so very glad that they didn't let Veronica, the mean girl, just remain Veronica, the mean girl. Mm-hmm. Even if it was only for like five seconds, they gave yeah. her some more depth and that was really good. I think. Yeah, I agree. What did you think of, and again, I'm going to make comparisons to the book and I apologize, but what did you think of Calvin's backstory, his home life? I thought that it could have been harsher. I felt like it was portrayed as harsh, like his dad is yelling at him for not doing well enough. But I felt like maybe, I don't know, given what he is, his character needed more fleshing out. Like it just needed more. Because I felt like uh, he needs to, when he goes to visit the Murrays, they need to be a billion times more attractive than his own family. Yeah. And so the short clip that we see of his dad yelling at him, yeah, parents yell at their kids. It needs, it needed to be more, I think. I needed to... I mean, maybe that's a cliche, but I think it needed to be more explicitly abusive. Especially because he ends it being like, I have to go and there's some things I need to say to my dad. Yeah. And like, oh, so your your home life deal is just like your dad has high expectations and that makes you feel bad. And that's not like just, it does make him feel bad and that's a hard situation to live in. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of flat even in the movie and especially when you know in the book... Like his mother is physically abusive and he and they live in like poverty and squalor and he's a high achiever in every way and doesn't fit into his family because they have low expectations of him, not yeah. high. Yeah, exactly. And that all just means a lot different stuff. 
And that's not all necessarily, like, I might have too seriously things to say about that also. Uh, but one of the things that's important about Calvin in the book is that he's a sport in biological terms. Um, and so is Charles Wallace, and they have that in common. And if you don't know, like, do you know in biology what a sport means? Um, I do, but please explain it for it our listeners. It is a, in uh, layman's terms, a sport is a unprecedented change in genetics. So something that is not like its parents. It's doing, it's something different biologically. Often we see this in redheads. Exactly. So Calvin is a sport. He's from a family of low-achieving uh, dummies, and he's a high-achieving smarty. <laughs> and we could criticize uh, Madeline Langle for, like, families of low-achieving dummies produce low-achieving dummies, and they're, like, there's some trouble there. Mm -hmm. But there's also some thematic richness to, like, he's coming out, he's, <laughs> to use The Simpsons, he's like a flower that grew out of a pot of dirt. <laughs> uh, he's like Lisa. And Charles Wallace is a sport, too, even though his family are all brilliant he's something more than brilliant. Yeah. And that's like an element to Charles Wallace in the book that's important that like he is as beyond he is as different from his family as Calvin is from his family. But Calvin's family are low achieving dummies and Charles Wallace Stop, Wallace's stop saying dummies. That's really not nice. <laughs> no, it's not. And I'm that's mean of me, but that's how they I think that Madeline Langle portrays them. Yeah. She doesn't use the word dummies. No, she doesn't. Let's be more politic then and say they are not uh, intellectually motivated or gifted. Mm -hmm. And he is. And so there's, but there's like a theme in Wrinkling Time of like, not only of people who are uh, moving beyond and away from their families, but also like an optimism of like these people who are sports and, and uh, in brilliance. We see a picture of light in of her sense of light of like there are geniuses arising. Mm -hmm. There are people who are like amazing and beyond what could ever be expected of them. And this is some an optimism that inhabits her world that isn't in this because what we have instead is like his father has unrealistically high expectations of him and yells at him about getting an 86. And like that's bad. Don't yell at your kids. But it doesn't mean anything yeah. for the movie or for his character. I feel like he doesn't have a character. His character is to basically, like, be in love with Meg. And even the like, lampshade, like Charles Wallace says, we need you because you're a diplomat. But he doesn't do any diplomating. Yeah, exactly. So what uh, What do they need him for? Mm -hmm. he, he does nothing, especially at the climax. He just disappears. Yeah. In terms of... The movie, like, I feel like you had to have Calvin there because he's there in the book. Yeah. But you could have easily just deleted him from, if if this is all you were going to do with him in this script, he might as well have not been there. Yeah, he I totally agree. zero in this. Totally agree. I'm really sad about that. Because I like Calvin, but Calvin. I want this movie to be better and it's just not. No. And I'm trying to talk about it, but it's mostly I'm just sad that 
when I think about our conversation about the little prince, the petit prince, and how much we loved it and how it was nothing like the book, but we loved it because it had the spirit of the book. And I feel like Wrinkle in Time doesn't have the spirit, no. doesn't quite. And I was looking at some reviews of it recent, uh, after we got home from the theater and it's like Wrinkle in Time continues its curse as an unfilmable movie. And it and, might be true. And it might be true. It might just be unfilmable. And there's other things that have had, like Wrinkle in Time has been a TV movie three times before this, twice before this. And it does seem like it just can't accomplish what the book accomplishes. And yeah. I think part of it is because what Madeline Langle can do is make good attractive. Yeah, it's one of the things she's really good at. She makes good um, interesting. And that's really difficult because often we watch things and we go, the evil thing is is really cool. Like you watch Little Mermaid and you're like, oh, Ursula. Yeah. I mean, I know she's evil, but like, man, is she cool. She's way cooler than Ariel. And Let's just say that. Exactly. And so like there's just – and that's one example of a thousand examples. And what Madeline Langle can do is make good attractive, make good something that you want – and for some reason, that's really hard to accomplish in a movie. Yeah. And I feel like um, this movie tries, and it tries by having them be physically attractive, by having yeah. them have beautiful costumes and beautiful sets, but that isn't quite what we were going for. No, and I think you, I, no, and I, Absolutely agree. And I think that's you're articulating why Mrs. Watsit made me so upset because Mrs. Watsit is attractive because she's good. Mm -hmm. And they go to a different world where she's physically attractive too because she can change her shape when she's in a different place. But that's not the point of her yeah. or of goodness. And one of the things they left out that I, <laughs> half of me doesn't want to fault them because it is. In plot terms, a digression, but in thematic terms is so important and leaving it out demonstrates that they don't really get what this book is about. Uh, and that's Ant Beast. Mm -hmm. Which is they travel to this world where there's this hideous monster who's lovely and kind. And it changes Meg's opinion about like what goodness looks like and the movie just doesn't do it because nothing happens plot wise yeah but the movie instead goes to a beautiful planet where the beautiful things are beautifully helping beautifully mm -hmm. and it's just like they don't know how to film something kind because they don't really care about their emotions of the characters because they don't really care about emotional richness in general and so you tell us love is very important but you don't, I don't really care if Charles Wallace loves Meg and Meg loves Charles Wallace because neither, because we haven't seen 
emotional depth from any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And that's really disappointing. Yep. As I think totally why this book is unfilmable is because it's about emotional depth and people approach it. People think that the reason they like it is because it's a cool adventure through space and time. Mm-hmm. But what's actually special about it is that it's a, an emotionally rich adventure through adolescence and uh, love. Yes. Love for your brother and father. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's about like Meg feeling like she doesn't have a place in this world and starting to find one. Mm-hmm. And how do you film that? Well, you film it by caring about the feelings of the characters. And that doesn't seem like what this book is. So then they try to make it and they just miss what it's about. I don't think it's unfilmable. I think The Little Prince seemed unfilmable until they finally pr- filmed it. And one day there will be a film version of the Wrinkle- A Wrinkle in Time that manages it. Maybe. And on that day, I hope that they take the lesson from this movie of um, when the book was written, the fact that Meg was a girl was groundbreaking. When you make the next remake of A Wrinkle in Time and make it well, make her have a groundbreaking identity mm-hmm. of some way, of some kind. I don't care if she's a black girl again. I don't care if she, like, her identity needs to be groundbreaking because that's important for this story. Yeah, Absolutely. She has to be a hero that the world of the movie doesn't think is a usual hero of a science fiction story. Mm-hmm. And that's something Absolutely. that I think they did really well and I applaud them for. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's the complicated question. Is it good? Is it seriously good? I think it's not good. Sadly, not good. I, I think it's medium... And maybe even medium bad if I'm going to be really honest with it. I'm going to disagree and say medium to the side of good. So I guess our consensus is just medium. Just medium. Happy medium. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, happy medium. And like, that's another thing. I could care less that you turn happy medium from a woman to a man and make it Zach Galifianakis. Like, that's fine. I liked the yoga balance. It's all about balance. It just like wasn't done well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, is it seriously good? Maybe. <laughs> I can't quite figure out if it is. I feel like this movie is the opposite of Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah. Where Kubo and the Two Strings was this beautiful, visu- beautifully visual movie with this amazing story. And then it turned out that... We had to give it a seriously bad because it was so appropriation and all that. And this movie is the opposite of that. It doesn't, it's diverse and beautiful and inclusive. And I love that aspect of it so much. But the actual story in the movie of it is not as great. So I feel like it's bad, but seriously good. Yeah, or medium, but medium, seriously but good. Medium, but seriously good. I think it seriously is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It ha- It's not seriously perfect, but it has a lot to recommend it in serious terms. Yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, it's only medium just as a movie. Yeah, exactly. Which is just too bad. Mm-hmm. It's disappointing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little sad about it. So medium, but seriously good. Yep. 
which we have never done before. I don't think we have ever given a movie better on seriously terms than we gave it on general terms. Yeah, I agree. Because they usually go together. And this is what I was saying outside of, like, in another context. When I rate, when I grade papers by students in my classes, I grade them on, like, mechanics and grammar, and I grade them on content and other stuff too. But, like, those so rarely are different. You so rarely have someone with bad grammar but good content because, unless they're ESL, because when you're sweating the details, it usually is a sign that you've got the big picture right. Mm-hmm. I think, here's what, I, what I'm thinking. I hope to have more movies like this in the future where we go, it's seriously good, but as a movie, yeah, you know, I want good and seriously good, but when it comes to movies, I want them to go in the direction of seriously good, of not having these problematic elements and then working on how can we make a good story within that. Yeah, if every movie was seriously good and varied in quality, I'd be a happy podcaster. Me too. (laughs) And that's what we're here to tell you all about. So if you want to talk to us, if any of you have seen The Wrinkle in Time, we watched it on opening weekend here, but we'll, we'll release this in about a about a month afterwards. So hopefully yeah. some of you will have seen it by then. Uh, let us know. Give us a, a shout out on Twitter. We're at WTSCast. You can send us your thoughts via email, especially if they're quite spoilery. Mm-hmm. Uh, seriously cast at gmail.com. Um, if you want to help us go to more movies in the theater, which costs yes. a lot of money, you can give us money on Patreon. <laughs> That's patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Anything else, Paul? Uh, you can rate and review us. Oh, yeah. That's also in good. In places where you know how to. Yeah. All right. I think that's about it for us. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And I need to tell you something. What? There is such a thing as a tesseract. <laughs>